Christmas has its stories, tales of long ago. Santa and his reindeer, sleigh rides in the snow. Scrooge and Christmas spirits, gifts beneath the tree. Shepherds with a host of angels, wise men on their knees. But the story we're narrating without further hesitation, cause we don't wanna keep you waiting. Other tales of the trees. Maple and Willow loved winter. Winter brought snow and also Christmas. Getting ready for Christmas was hard work. Maple and Willow didn't mind. This year, Maple and Willow were getting a real Christmas tree. Choosing the right tree was the hardest work of all. Ute Igbe, Ute Osme, Ute Ifre. But when the work was done, the girls were convinced their Christmas tree was the best Christmas tree in the whole wide world. The tree fit just inside their door. It's perfect, said Willow. I'm so glad we got rid of our fake tree and it's my year to put the star on top. You look like Rudolph, said Willow. Why is your nose so red? Uh, 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 Maple sneezed all afternoon. Oh no, maybe you are allergic to the Christmas tree, Willow said. I hope not, Maple said. But when the girls went outside to play, Maple stopped sneezing. Back inside the house, Maple's sneezing started all over again. She really was allergic to the Christmas tree, so the tree couldn't stay inside. At least we have an outside tree, said Maple. I wish you weren't allergic to Christmas, said Willow. I'm not allergic to Christmas, said Maple, just Christmas trees. While getting ready for bed, Maple said, Willow, I'm sorry I ruined Christmas. I'm sorry you ruined Christmas too, said Willow. That night, Willow couldn't fall asleep. Willow felt sad about the Christmas tree. She felt even worse for hurting Maple's feelings. Then Willow got an idea. Getting ready for her idea was hard work. Willow didn't mind. When all the work was done, Willow decided to wake up Maple and show her the big surprise. And there, in the living room, stood the best Christmas tree ladder in the whole wide world. It's perfect, said Maple. I know, said Willow, and she handed Maple the star to place on top. Did you hear what Willow said? I am sorry that you ruined Christmas. And I'm sure that's not the first time that Christmas has been ruined. Maybe yours has been ruined too. But if it was ruined, it probably wasn't ruined because somebody was allergic to the Christmas tree. It's probably ruined for another reason. It probably wasn't because your turkey got burned to a crisp or maybe because the cat knocked over the tree or, or maybe there's this story where the wrong person got the wrong gift and all of those things might damage your Christmas, but those things don't ruin your Christmas. What ruins your Christmas is often 
what gets said at Christmas. And maybe it's something that somebody said to you, and, and maybe they couched it in a little bit of humor, so it was supposed to seem like a joke, but you know that they were really serious behind that little smile, and it cut deep, and you felt it. And you sat there at that Christmas event, whatever it was, and you're like, oh. Or maybe it was you that said it, and the second those words slipped out of your mouth, you're like, oh no, what have I just said? Because you know that you've done some hurt, and that you've done some harm. And so we come to this Christmas season where we take all of these relationships we have, and some of them are family and some of them are friends, and we kind of just cram all of ourselves into the same space. And the tensions rise, and we start to get a little testy, and sometimes we get a little frustrated with each other, and, and old issues can resurface. And sometimes we discover that time doesn't really heal all wounds. It just like puts them in the closet until the next holiday season comes around. And relationship issues bubble to the top and things get said and another relation or excuse me, another Christmas just goes down the tubes. But it doesn't have to be that way. And it's not even dependent on Uncle Fred's behavior, however bad he happens to behave or what he happens to say, because there are things that you can do, that I can do, that can make Christmas better. And what we'd like to do this morning as we start this Christmas season in in the Tales of the Tree is we want to talk about five steps that you can take to have a good Christmas season relationally. And so let me invite you to turn with me to the love chapter and probably not the one that you're thinking about, but actually the one that shows up in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start reading in Romans chapter 12, verse number 9. And we're going to read through this passage this morning. And I want to highlight five things as we go. And so this is not going to be an exhaustive um, exploration of this chapter because actually Paul here gives 14 or 15 instructions. We're just going to pull out five of them, which I think capture the heart of what Paul is saying here. And these are five steps that you can follow, five steps that you can take to make your Christmas relationships better. So we're in Romans chapter 12, verse number 9. Paul writes this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above Yourselves. And here's the first instruction that I want to look at here this morning. It's to honor one another above yourself. What does it mean to honor? Well, honor means to give somebody respect. It means to give them dignity. It may even mean to show them kindness. But the idea of honoring is to declare the other person as valuable. Not necessarily in saying, I think you're valuable, but in the way that you treat that person, the way that you behave when you're around that person, the things that you even say to that person. But you give them value, and it's not based on what value they have, although every person has value. It's based on your decision to give them that value. And what you actually do, though, is you give them a place. And I want us to think about that word here for this morning. You give them a place. We live in a world where everybody is fighting for their place in the world. And you want to be recognized. You want to be seen. You want people to, to know that you're there. And you want people to, to, to think well of you. But what we do so many times is we jockey for a position. 
It's what we're trying to do is we're trying to get our place and establish our place and where we are actually on the ladder, as it were. But we want to have our place, and so many people are fighting for that. In fact, that's a lot of the conversations that go on, even around the dinner table, is somebody tells a story and somebody else is like, well, they don't really say this, but it's like, well, I think I can top that one. And what are we doing? We're fighting for the place of prominence. And what Paul is saying here is instead of fighting for your own place, fight for the place of somebody else. And fight for the place where a person feels important and necessary and even respected. We can get that to stay there. Even respected in the world. And that is the idea here. But Paul takes it a step further. I'm going to move that forward. Paul takes it a step further and says what? Don't just give them a place that's equal to you. Give them a place that's above you. And that's what it means to be above yourselves. Give them priority and give them preference. Give them a place that's above you. And if you do that, you've just disarmed a lot of the conflict that comes in our holiday season because you don't have to fight over who gets the highest place. You can just cede it to that person. And this is what Jesus did when he came. In fact, it's the passage that Chris just read. What did he say? He stepped out of his place and he came down here and he gave us place. And he made us as important as humans by taking, or made us as important as humans by taking on a human form. And so as we look at this uh, season, the challenge is to show respect by giving people place. This is so important. Why? Because it's recognizing the image of God in people. But it's also important that it tends to de-escalate tense situations when people aren't fighting for legitimacy. But it also establishes trust. When I sense that somebody's fighting me for a place, and where I'm sensing that they'll use me or what I say or, or, or leverage me or whatever so that they can move up a notch, what does that do to my trust of them? I don't trust them because you're just using me for me. But when we actually say, you know what, I'm going to give you place, when you tell that to a person, what have you just done? You just said to that person, you can trust me. And we can start to build that relationship then on the idea of trust. And so we make the commitment to treating each other with respect. So instead of lashing out in frustration or getting short or getting snarky with each other, we choose because we have the choice to show respect. Well, we go on to the second thing here. We'll start, uh, read again here in verse number 11. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And then notice that next two-word sentence. Practice hospitality. And here's the second instruction that we get that we're taking here this morning. Practice hospitality. Now, how do we usually think of hospitality, especially at the Christmas season? Hospitality is when I invite you to my house for the party, or maybe you invite the neighbor over for for some cookies or whatever, or maybe you invite some friends over uh, from work and they come and join you. But we think of, of hospitality as inviting somebody over. 
And sometimes we take it a little bit further, and it's like, well, maybe I'll, I'll invite you out to dinner, or maybe I'll bring you cookies, and, and we kind of put that all under the umbrella of hospitality. But hospitality is more than just opening up your home. It's actually opening up your heart. And it's inviting people into your story. And it's the idea of creating space. So we add another idea here. The idea of space. Henry Nguyen said it this way. Hospitality is creating space for someone to become a friend. And the idea here is that I have my world and I have my agenda and I have my schedule and I have all of this that's me and I meet you. And instead of saying there's no room here because I'm completely full, it's where I say, oh, let me move this aside so that you can become a part of my life too. And so I invite that person into my space. I don't have to invite them necessarily into my home. That's fine. But what I need to do is I need to invite them into my life, and I need to invite them into my heart. And how do we do this? We do this by ceding territory. By instead of being so much about protecting ourselves to just open that door and say, okay, I'm going to allow space. I'm going to create room here. And that can be scary. So we, we can say that when, when, you, when you do this, there, there's a certain amount of courage that has to be part of the equation. Because when I invite people into that space, they get, get, to, they get to see parts of me that, that maybe I don't typically share. They get to see parts of my life and be involved in parts of my life that maybe I keep hidden sometimes. And so it takes some courage to open up the doors and to invite somebody in. It takes openness. And it's just not just the openness that, that I open myself. It's the openness to say, do you know what? I need you to come into my life because I need what you have to offer. And every person that we have relationships with has something that they can give us. And it's not so that we can be, you know, takers in life. It's so that we can appreciate what the gifts are that other people bring. And so we need to have a level of openness. We also need to have a level of attentiveness. Because there's a lot of people in our world who are desperately looking for hospitality. It might be the guy who sits next to you at work. It might be the person who sits next to you at school. It might be the next door neighbor. It might be somebody in your family that's kind of the the black sheep or whatever. But it's that person where we say, you know what? They're on the outside. I want to invite them to the inside. And that's what hospitality, on its basic level, hospitality is this. Hospitality is welcoming strangers or entertaining strangers. And if if you translated that verse just literally, it would be that. Don't practice hospitality. It would be entertain strangers. But I like what it, it, it said here, um, that a, a stranger, to, to quote Nguyen again here, what did he say? Creating a space for somebody to become a friend, it's a stranger, somebody maybe I don't even know that well. To say, okay, come be a part of my life. So we create safe spaces for people to feel welcome and accepted. And I see this even in the Christmas story. 
where Jesus is lying in a manger, there's Mary and there's Joseph. But what happens? There's shepherds on a hillside, <laughs> and God invites them into the manger scene. And it's, it's a declaration to the world from Jesus Christ, hey, you're welcome here. And so we have that opportunity with people in our stories too to say, hey, I'm going to open myself up to you, and I'm going to be intentional about inviting you in. Maybe through the doorway of my house, maybe through the doorway of my heart. Well, we keep reading here. Verse number 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so the third instruction we get is simply rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And oftentimes at Christmas, we have so much that's on our plate and we're so preoccupied with everything else that we need to do that we forget that those are actually real people with real feelings and real situations that we're dealing with. And maybe somebody needs your empathy more than they need your you know, little $5 box of candy that you might bring them because you have to bring them something. But we have this word empathy, and it means to enter into a, a situation with somebody and to feel with them. Where we enter into a situation enough that we start to experience what they are experiencing and where we can start to take on that experience ourselves. Not easily done, but something that we need to work on. Somebody said it this way, empathy is the idea of listening to another person's soul. When's the last time you listened to another person's soul? Christmas is an emotional season, isn't it? And that's a good thing. We enjoy Christmas and our memories of Christmas are because we've experienced these emotions of Christmas. But they're not always a good thing for everybody. And sometimes we need to be tuned into the emotions of others that aren't quite so joyous, that aren't quite so fun. And sometimes we can see around us people are dealing with sadness or hopelessness or regret or whatever. We need to tune into those moments too. And we need to step into their stories. Now, it's easy to rejoice, I think, most of the time, with people who rejoice. But it takes us to a different level to weep with those who weep. And we just had the little story here of Maple and Willow up on the screen. And what we have there is we have the example of Willow who never entered into the pain of Maple or the frustration of Maple until she'd already said something that she shouldn't say, and then it hit her. And then she started to empathize, and that's why we end up with a, a Christmas ladder. But I think there's a really important point that even comes from that story, and it's this. You can't feel for others if you're feeling sorry for yourself. And a lot of times, even at Christmas, we, we focus on what we're not getting or, or how we're affected by it. And if we're going to be people of empathy, we're going to have to say, okay, those feelings, it's not that they're not important, but you know what? The feelings of somebody else are, are more important. Or maybe even my experiences and the feelings I've had can be helpful to somebody else in the experiences that they're having right now in this moment. And so I have another word for that as, as we talk about the steps. And it's this idea of embracing people. Not embracing people for what they bring to us. Not embracing people because we think they're so fun. But embracing people because they are people who may be hurting in this situation. I know just in my own little world, family, um, over the past 
week, I've heard three different expression stories of people who are going through some really, really, really difficult times right now. I didn't even have to go outside the doors of my house to hear these. And I think we need to be reminded of the fact that there are a lot of people in our world that are dealing with really, really hard stuff right now. And if you want to make Christmas better, we can reach out and we can embrace those people. And we can emphasize with them. And maybe we even need to remind ourselves sometimes that when people are acting maybe as they shouldn't and we're frustrated with them, maybe we need to step back and say, I wonder what's going on right now with them. What's going on at work? What's going on at school? What are they dealing with even on the inside? And where we can take this step here to embrace them. I think Jesus was the ultimate example of embracing mankind. I mean, just the fact that he came as a baby, what, to embrace the world, to say, I want to be with you here. But as we even watch him go through, through the, his life, how many times does he stop to pick up the person who's fallen? How many times does he stop to help the person who's, who's broken? How many times does he stop to heal the person who's got an infirmity going on? Jesus' story was always about empathy. And I even love those little snippets that we get, like when Jesus goes to the, to the, the tomb of Lazarus. And he meets with Mary, and he meets with Martha, and he knows he's going to heal Lazarus, but he stops, and what does he do? He weeps because he felt their pain. And I always love that story, too, of of the man who can't talk, and I think he's deaf. And Jesus comes to him, and and he's going to heal them, that man, but before he heals that man, he puts his arm around his shoulder, and the Bible tells us he sighed. And it's like he went, This is hard, isn't it, what you've lived with? And then he heals the man. But Jesus was the ultimate example of embracing people who were hurting. In fact, we're told in the book of Hebrews, what? He experienced everything that we experienced. He went through this life as we go through this life, and he felt what we feel. So that when we come to him and say, I'm feeling this way, he can say, yeah. I would know that because I'm God, but yeah, I know that also because I experienced that as well. I've experienced rejection. I've experienced insult. I've experienced pain. I've experienced abandonment. I've experienced all of these things. And so the challenge comes to us at Christmas time when there's people all around us and the people that we relate to. Sometimes we want to be irritated, sometimes we want to be judgmental, and sometimes we want to be frustrated, and sometimes we just need to stop and say, okay, I'm going to embrace this person right here. It goes on here in verse number 16. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And then he shifts his direction a little bit here in the passage, because up to this point, I think he's just talking to people who are Christ followers. And he's talking about, here's how you relate to people who are Christ followers. He's talking to Christ followers completely here. But he's talking about, here's how you relate to people who are Christ followers. And he says, now, let's talk about people who maybe aren't Christ followers. How are you going to relate to them in your life as well? And so he goes on and gives some instruction here in verse number 17. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And there's the fourth instruction right there, is to live at peace. Now that sounds rather passive, doesn't it? All right, just sit back and 
Just like when people are being rude or whatever, just like, okay, I'll, I'll just be good with it. I'll take one for the team here. That's not what this is talking about. When it talks about living at peace, it's the idea of pursuing relationships and trying to make them what they were created to be. We can have peace that's false peace, where it's like, I'm just going to put up with this. I'm just going to take it. That's not what I'm talking about at all. That's not what Paul's talking about. What he's talking about is pursuing peace is to say, my relationship with you, what did God create that relationship to be like, and how can we pursue that together? Now, I realize you may not have the participation of that other person, but the goal is how do we experience this kind of peace that's not just an absence of conflict, That's not that hard, is it? You can just move to the next room. But we're talking about more than the absence of conflict. We're actually talking about the presence of harmony. It's where we can actually say, you know what? I appreciate having this other person in my story. And even if I don't feel that way, I'm going to take steps that move me in that direction. Because that's what it means to live peaceably. Where I can enjoy or maybe even find delight in other people. It goes far beyond just tolerating and putting up with people. Well, how do we do that? Well, the preceding verses give us some idea there. What did it say? Don't be conceited. Don't be pride, proud. And anytime we have conflict, you can always find pride in conflict. It's universally present there. But you can get past that, and we can start to move in this direction where it's not about me It's about you, and so we can practice humility. Because if we can't practice humility, we're never going to experience peace. We may have to admit that we're wrong. We may have to admit that somebody has a better idea. We may need to just go with somebody else's idea. We may need to give in. That's all okay, because that's what we're called to do. We may even have to forgive. And again, That doesn't mean that we're just being permissive. It does mean that we're letting something go on purpose. And so the word that I would say here is we need to offer much grace. And as we notice, as we work up the the ladder here, that one doesn't want to stay. It almost gets a little bit tougher with every step, doesn't it? Like, okay, when I start to show grace, that means I'm going to give you good and I'm going to take the loss. And I'm going to give you good even though you don't have it coming. You're not very deserving. You've been rude. You've been mean. You've been impolite, unthoughtful. And you know what? I'm still going to offer you grace in this situation. Now, there's an interesting caveat that comes in this verse. It says, if it's possible. Paul is actually saying, you know what? There's going to be some people in your life where this is not possible. But it's because of them and because of the fact that they won't move towards some type of coming together, it should never be because of you. So there may be relationships where you're like, I simply can't go there. And that may actually be appropriate. But as much as possible, as much as lies in you, offer grace so that you can experience peace. And then he goes on here, and we'll finish up reading This passage this morning, verse number 19, he says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we're going to overcome with good. And that's the fifth instruction here. As you deal with relationships, because in your relationships at this Christmas season or any time during the year, people are going to do you evil. People are going to do you wrong. People are going to be rude to you. People are going to be inconsiderate of you. That's just going to happen. What is your response? Your response needs to be goodness. Here's what I am offering to you is goodness. Now, the first thing is, well, I'm thinking kindness. And if I need to be good to somebody, if they're rude to me, I need to be kind back to them. That's really not what this means right here, although I think that's very valid. This goodness has two parts to it. The first part of it is this. It's always doing the right thing. When we talk about a good person, we talk about a person who does what's right. And we say, he's just a good person. You can just count on him because you know whatever the right thing to do is, he's just going to do the right thing. And that's part of being good in a situation, even in a relationship that's hard, is even if that person's acted that way, you still say, you know what, I'm still going to do the right thing here. I'm still going to treat you the right way. I'm still going to act in the right way. I'm still going to conduct myself in the right manner here. And that's part of what we're talking about here is this idea of goodness. A person who doesn't matter what it's done to him or to her, they're always going to do what's right in response and in return. But it also has that second part of it, which is doing the beneficial thing. Good people help people. They provide benefit for people. They look out for people. And so good people, even though somebody treats them rudely, they still respond in some beneficial, positive, helpful way. That's where it gets hard, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody's bumped into you, is rude to you, you kind of want to just kind of bump them back or be bristle back at them and just say, you know what, I'm going to give you good in return. You know, I think if we'll commit to goodness, it helps in our relationships. Because we understand that wrong is always going to happen around us, and it's always going to happen in relationships, and there are going to be people, even people that you love, who are going to wrong you, say something they shouldn't, whatever like that. And your response is always going to be your choice. Nobody can make you respond in any way other than you choose it yourself. So it's not just then what you do. It becomes a history, an issue of who you are. I'm going to be a person of goodness. And so when this comes up in whatever situation, I am going to respond in some way that's right, but also in some way that's going to be beneficial to you. Somebody said it this way, goodness is the overflow of who we are. So then I like to think of it this way. We overcome with the overflow. But let's just take this a step further as we talk about the holiday season or as we talk about going to work, whether it's in June or July or whenever. We need to be the people who set the pace. And that's the last word that I, I would share with this here this morning. Is this Christmas season, how can you be the easiest person that a person has to deal with? The person that works with you, how can you be the easiest coworker in the office to deal with 
this Christmas season. How can you be the easiest family member to deal with at this holiday season? How can you be the best neighbor on the block this season? And this is what it means to overflow with goodness, is that I set the pace. Like, and not in a prideful way, but I am so committed to this idea of making my relationships good that anybody can look at me and say, oh, if I just act like that, everything will be okay. And that's not so you can pat yourself on the back. I'm just saying that's what the objective is. That I will be the easiest person anybody has to do. I will be the most positive person. I will be the most loving person. I will be the person who embraces. I will be the person who honors and respects. I will be the person who invites people into my space. I will be the person who is quick to offer grace. I will be that person because you know what? I choose that. The problem with relationships is there's always two people. And you can never, ever control that other person. But you don't have to. Because you can control the person that is you. And that's the object here. So there's always the danger that Christmas can be ruined. But we can lessen that danger by what we choose to do ourselves. And Paul gives Five instructions here that we've just pulled out from this passage. Honor others as better than yourself. Practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live at peace and overcome with good. Or we can say it with these five words that takes us up the ladder to relational success at this Christmas season. Give people a place. Don't make them fight for it. Offer them space where you invite them into your world, into your story, and into your heart. Learn to embrace. There is going to be so much hurt that you will run into at this Christmas season. It's your opportunity. Offer grace. And every day we need to offer grace because you know what happens when two people run into each other on the street? And when two family members sit across from each other at the table, we all come to these meeting places with brokenness. I bring mine, you bring yours, and the way that we work through that is by what? Offering grace. And then when we get to the top here, we become the people who set the pace. Where every person in our orbits, circles at this holiday season that we come in contact with where we can reach out to them and touch them, we become the people that make their Christmas better. And that's the lesson this morning from our Tales of the Trees. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the example that you set in these ways of honoring us as as mankind by becoming one of us, by practicing hospitality and inviting us into the family, by embracing us in our brokenness, by offering us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, and of course by 
giving us the ultimate example of how to conduct relationships. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe as you come this morning, you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That makes no sense to you whatsoever. When I talk about that, or even as I say that, you're like, what does he mean? I mean simply this is where we come to Jesus Christ, and I believe that you came for me as a baby, lived as a man, you died on a cross for sin, not your own, but mine, so that I could have forgiveness. And that's what Jesus offers to you this morning. He offers grace. He offers forgiveness. If you'll ask him for that. If you've never done that, I would invite you where you sit this morning to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life to give you that forgiveness and that freedom as you follow him. But if you're a Christ follower this morning, probably somewhere on the ladder here, there's a word that needs to be your word this Christmas season. Will you pick it this morning? Will you make that commitment? Will you be the person who makes the relationship better? So Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. Help us to be the people that you have created us to be. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.